Welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Misha. And today we're going to be talking about the week's latest in entertainment, uh, including some news of a few live action remakes that will be coming our way, some latest developments in the Robert Pattinson Batman film, and finally the Call of Duty announcement that they'll be transitioning to more of a battle pass system as opposed to loot boxes, which has been a popular way of doing things in the past. But uh, before we get started, uh, how was your week, Kyle? My week, um, overall, pretty good. I um, I went to go see the Joker again. We talked about that um, a couple weeks ago, and I saw that for a second viewing, and I really enjoyed it the second time around. Um, I had a different experience uh, when it comes to people in the movie theater, but we can get to that get that a little bit later. Um, sure. But for you, um, anything happened this week? Uh, not much. Just been catching up on some shows. Uh, Shannon and I finished Fleabag. Um, so for anyone who hasn't heard of Fleabag, uh, recently won the Emmy for the Best Comedy Series. Uh, it's an Amazon original show. Um, so we just finished up that season. Also been catching up on The Good Place, things like that. But uh, have you watched Fleabag before? I have, yes. So I um, I watched that probably, I don't know, six months ago? Yeah. yeah I think so. Um, and it was, for me, there was so many shows, and there still are. This was the peak peak era of prime television. There's a lot of shows out there, and of course, we can't watch them all, and and I think that was the best reason I had for not watching Fleabag, um, which is on BBC, Amazon Prime. Um, but then, you know, after a while, I kind of just broke down and I decided to check out the first episode. And then I watched another one and another one. And you know, the next thing I knew, I'd watch both seasons in under 24 hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, we didn't watch it that fast. Um, so we had some friends in, I guess, multiple places kind of suggesting that we watch it um talking about how good of a show it was and we finally caved uh, after it won the emmy for best comedy series and we watched it over the course of two weeks but uh, for any listeners who don't or aren't familiar with the show fleabag basically follows um basically a young woman in london as she tries to navigate uh you know romance and work and family life in the wake of losing her best friend to a tragedy um now that doesn't really sound like a comedy uh maybe fits the bill more of like a drama um but i think one of the key elements of this show that makes it so entertaining is that the way that phoebe waller bridge who's the main actress and the director uh she breaks down the fourth wall uh so it's a bit it's a bit like the house of cards series where um kevin spacey's character will frequently talk towards the camera and kind of narrate what's going on so you know it's a bit like that but i feel like in ways that are a bit more subtle um and almost as if like it's her way of kind of dissociating herself from what's going on and the like tension and anxiety that she experiences throughout the show it's almost like if you and i were to go to like a party with people we didn't know and we exchange like nervous glances with each other or like winks or laughs or things like that um yeah and it's but yeah um sorry 
No, go ahead. I'm gonna say it's not um, a mockumentary like uh, The Office, though. Um, right. Some people have, I've seen that online, and it's like you're saying it's a little bit more intimate than that. In part because none of the other characters are aware of it. Well, I mean, almost none of the other characters are aware. Um, she's not, you know, so much talking to the camera as she is kind of more confiding in you as the viewer, um, kind of giving like these little winks that reveal the character's true feelings and motivations and Sometimes she'll do this thing where she'll deliver the same line twice in a row, once to the camera um, with one inflection and once to another character with a different one, and that never fails to kill me. Yeah, no, it's it's really entertaining. And yeah, I feel like her use of it kind of changes. Like in the first season, a lot of it is really contextual. She's giving you like background information in a way that narration normally would that kind of catches you up to speed with you know, the situation with her best friend um her family life or uh, the relationships that she's in and then progressively it gets more i guess vulnerable and you know there there are even occasions where you almost are convinced that she's almost lying to the viewer or to herself to kind of like convince herself of something and it's a really kind of artful way of breaking down that fourth wall so mm-hmm. and the first uh, yeah season... so we, we just finished that sorry go ahead i was gonna say the first season's really good um, the second season is even better, I think. Um, you know, she falls in love with the priest. It's a whole thing. I'm not gonna, I guess, say too much of, more about it because I, I really would like you all to go see it, um, watch it if you haven't seen it. Um, so yeah, that's your project for for the weekend. If you haven't seen Fleabag, watch it. If you have, maybe rewatch it. Um, again, what is it, like six hours in total? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is it's really manageable. So I think it's two seasons of six episodes each, and each episode are thirty-minute TV episodes. So they're really like twenty-three minutes altogether. So I'm not surprised you finished it in twenty-four hours. But for anyone who maybe is the prospect of starting a new show is daunting, Fleabag really doesn't take too much investment, and you'll be a lot better for it. Yeah, for me, I've. Um... Aside from Fleabag, I've started watching Barry on HBO. Um, if, have you seen Barry yet? Have you started it? No, I haven't. Um, but a bit like you were saying, you know, with the crazy amount of content that's out there these days, it's kind of on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I know it recently won an Emmy for Best Actor uh, for Bill Hader's portrayal. Yeah, and it's kind of in the same timeline, I guess, or time length is going to take you to watch it as Fleabag. There is only two seasons um, each episode is 30 minutes. I think there's a few more episodes per season that, than Fleabag. Um, but again, it's this dark comedy that kind of has a really strange way of storytelling. And Bill Hader, of course, is really, really good. Um, it's pretty much this depressed, low-level hitman named Barry. He is from the Midwest. He reluctantly travels to LA to execute some hit on this like wannabe actor guy who's been kind of messing around with this mobster's wife and um with that he goes to these acting classes and he kind of takes on this weird um love for acting also carrying on the show's kind of dark themes of him also being a hitman and killing people yeah so i haven't seen again any of the show um but definitely kudos to bill Hader so far for his performance um 
I mean, he's obviously well known for his SNL fame, but if you'd seen It Chapter 2 recently, I think he was one of the performances that really held that movie together. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were here last but, week, he's famous for um, blowing off Sam Stedman on the red carpet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Great callback. <laughs> um, but I, I read somewhere that he was motivated to start doing this show because of some of his feelings of anxiety uh, from his SNL days and how that kind of, uh, I guess, inhibited his ability to, you know, really do his job as a comedian. And so he kind of transferred, um, you know, some of that same energy towards this, uh, this role of like a hitman who feels like he really wants to act or, you know, whose anxiety around being a hitman ultimately brings about a change in him. Yeah. And I can definitely see that through this show, you can kind of see, um, I think I heard a similar article on, um, on another show that I listened to and they kind of talked about him having those awkwardnesses during SNL and being really tense and scared of the filming and learning all that stuff. And it definitely shows now that you mentioned it, um, into the show, Barry. Yeah. So, um, that one's definitely next on my list. Now that we finished Fleabag. Um, and then another show that we've been keeping up with that I know you're also a fan of has been the good place, uh, which is NBC's, uh, I guess, comedy about the afterlife. Uh, and I've, I've always loved this show just for being so lighthearted. I think a lot of TV shows these days tend to be really dark. Um, whether it's like Ozark or even Game of Thrones is heavy or some, some shows that just have really serious plot lines and character developments, things like that. And what the good places we've always loved about it is just how it it's funny without first of all being raunchy and then it never really, it's a very uplifting show. Yeah. And um, I've unfortunately been kind of behind on this latest season. Um, again, with so much to watch, I am still, I think I'm only on like episode two or three of the current season. Um, I don't really have time to watch things live, so I usually go back on Hulu um, or on NBC's like on-demand website. Um, but so far, again, love it. Like you said, it's it's just like a nice show to watch. There's not a lot of things like in these like Fleabag that we watch or Barry, or if you've seen any other like HBO show out there, it's a lot more lighthearted and you can just kind of throw on and enjoy and not have to worry about um being depressed after afterwards <laughs> yeah totally um yeah i i for one really love the character of jason mendoza uh, who in the first couple of seasons is like obsessed with blake bortles because he's a jacksonville native uh so in the most recent in the most recent season the narrative has kind of caught up with real life events and um in a moment when jason's character gets broken up with he also learns the news of Blake Bortles being traded from the Jaguars, which like ultimately totally defeats him. <laughs> uh, and so I'm, I'm just waiting for the moment when they introduce Gardner Minshew, the new Jaguars QB into the, into the show, because Gardner definitely has what seems to be very like larger than life personality. Mm-hmm. Um, almost Jason Mendoza like, and kind of his recklessness and um, I guess cavalier attitude. So uh, I'd be interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, and from someone who used to live in Jacksonville, I think the city is 
is happy that Blake Bortles is no longer on the roster. Oh, really? Yeah, just uh, I would. I remember I would go out and um, down the beach bars. Jacksonville's pretty much set up like you have the beach scene, and then you kind of have um, this place called Riverside. It's a different type of vibe, but yeah, you'd be out there on a Friday, even Saturday night. See Blake Bortles hanging out, taking some shots with people. It's like, dude, you got like a a twelve o'clock game, one p.m. game tomorrow, and it's instead just, of yeah, probably yeah. should be working out or mm-hmm. something like that. Not that Gardner Minshew wouldn't be out you know, the night before a game, kind of his personality it looks like, um, but probably a lot more subtle. Yeah. So tell me about your movie theater etiquette encounter today at the theaters. Yeah, so um, this hasn't been the first time that I've gone to a theater, um, and I know it's not regional because this has happened to me all over the place, where it seems like growing up, um, going to a movie, whether it's like a midnight release, um or even seeing the movie two months after it's already been in theaters, there seemed to be a lot more etiquette when it comes to going to the theater, paying for a ticket, and watching and enjoying it um, in a dark room with strangers, where no phones, no one talked, unless there was like some sort of, like laughter is fine, I think, or um, the occasional like, oohs and ahs of, of a film. But recently, and I don't know what it is, whether it's just, the climate that American we're in culture uh, yeah, maybe i it's it's just like i go to a theater and even when i went to go see joker for the second time um i had a group of kids in front of me which probably shouldn't be there in the first place they probably didn't understand what the movie was about and they were snapchatting they were texting their friends they would get a snapchat back and show the person next to them um or there's someone behind me who in the theater I go to, there's like the recliner, so it's nice. You can kind of stretch back. They get up, they hit the back of my chair, they talk, and it's just maybe it is just this new American culture that's coming out. But I remember even when me and you would go to movies when we were younger, it's like if you were not allowed to talk, once that movie starts, like you need to be still. Like you're afraid of reaching for your popcorn because it might annoy the person next to you. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I mean, I grew up in a family that was very much like that. Like, once the lights dimmed for the previews, it's basically like if you're talking, you shouldn't be in the theater. Um, and my my dad to this day still has somewhat uncomfortable interactions with people when they're like on their phones or things like that. Um, which I think is where I get, I guess, my like policing nature in movie theaters from. I've seen that but, in action. Yeah, I know. And so, for any viewers who aren't familiar, my dad is a Navy SEAL, and so he takes the movie theater policing to like the nth degree. Um, but yeah, I, I've noticed that as well. Like most recently we went to the showing of Incredibles two, which I guess was, was that earlier this year or last year? I can't even remember. Um, but it was a bunch of like two thousands babies essentially. And you know how Pixar has the shorts before the movie, like the theater was full of teenagers who were just like, laughing and yelling and like screaming out jokes and like trying to be funny to the point that like we really didn't get to see the short before the film like like lines are being interrupted and things like that wow um but yeah i feel like the movie theater experience has changed in general like i don't know about you in our area a lot of theaters have switched to reserve seating Mm -hmm. um slowly which 
Yeah. So what I've noticed there is like people tend to just like wait until the last minute to arrive at the theater. And so like you're like halfway through the previews and people are still like arguing over which seats they reserved and things like that, which to me like makes me really like tense and anxious. So I'm not really like watching the previews. I'm more watching the people like bicker right. over which seats they have. Um, at the same time, I think it depends on the movie and how engaged you are. Like, for instance, we went to Quiet Place last year, which is famous for its lack of noise and how quiet the movie is. And I thought with this generation of like bad movie theater etiquette that it would, the kind of experience would get disrupted. But the theater was like stone silent. Um, which was really interesting. Like I couldn't even like chew on popcorn because like people in the back row of the theater could hear me. Um, But yeah, the the movie theater experience is definitely changing. And I think it might, I'll probably do some social experiments as I continue to go to the movies. Um, I am looking into getting um, the Regal has this unlimited pass where you pretty much pay like $21 a month and you get to go to as many movies as you want unlimited times. Um, so maybe I'll use that, but just pretty much, I think, like you said, definitely depends on the movie. I also think it depends on the time of the movie that you go to and, um, like opening weekend, I think for a movie is a good time to go. And that's kind of where I've seen a lot of like reviewers go to those or, um, people kind of in the same industry that we're doing, like with podcasting is because I think if you go to the movie, like midnight when it comes out or maybe the opening weekend, the audience is a little bit more serious about the movie sure. where um, they're going to take it. You know, they're not going to be on their phone the whole time because it means more to them. Unlike going to a four in the afternoon showing of a movie that's been out for a month now. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, with that, should we talk about some of the latest news this week? Yeah. Let's talk about, um, we kind of mentioned it earlier, this this seems to be a very confusing times with um, Batman and the DC Universe, whether they're going to be having Robert Pattinson, where's Jonah Hill fit into all this now, um, we're getting news of Paul Deneau coming in as the Riddler. Um, do you want to start with that? Yeah, for sure. So... We've recently heard some news that Robert Pattinson is going to be starring in a new Batman film. Um, So that fact alone already has me a bit confused, I guess. So obviously we've had Christian Bale play Batman uh, in in recent years. We've also had Ben Affleck take his turn as Batman. Um, And then now more recently, we see Robert Pattinson is going to be in a Batman film. Um, So the latest news suggests that this isn't going to be connected in any way to the Joker movie. Um, There hasn't been a lot that's come out about this new Robert Pattinson Batman film, but um, that's really the only information we've gotten. Um, We know that Jonah Hill was in talks to play an unnamed villain in the new Batman movie um, based on Jonah Hill's figure in the limited scope of batman villains i would assume he was probably going to be slated to play the penguin Uh, i don't know what your thoughts are on that yeah definitely um penguin material and again this movie is titled the batman um coincidentally same as the joker that just came out 
And as Misha said, this is going to star Robert Pattinson as um, you know, the Cape Crusader, Batman. I think I saw something about Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle, um, AKA as Catwoman, um, who again, it was a role that was previously played um, like by Michelle Pfeiffer, Anne Hathaway, and Halle Berry. So not only are we getting different actor types playing Batman, but we're also having these different act um, actress types playing um, supporting roles as well. And yeah. yeah, totally. I have also seen that Jeffrey Wright, uh, who is most notably recently as uh, the actor who portrayed Ber uh, Bernard in Westworld, he's going to be playing Commissioner Gordon. So wow, a lot of fam familiar Batman characters will be in the in this film. Mm -hmm. um, but so as we were saying, Jonah Hill recently dropped out of talks to star in this film as the villain, um, presumably uh, because of just financial compensation issues. So I guess, you know, the studio couldn't get to a number that Jonah Hill was comfortable with. Uh, usually that doesn't necessarily bar someone from, I guess, re-entering a production. Um, you know, there have been instances in the past where studios and actors have had the disagreements on on salary um so it's not altogether written off that you know jonah hill won't star in this movie but the um the crew did recently bring in another actor to star as a villain uh so as you mentioned earlier paul dano uh, of little miss sunshine fame as well as some other films like there will be blood and prisoners uh, has been confirmed that he'll be starring as the riddler um, so most notably in recent years, uh, the Riddler has been played by Jim Carrey, but I think uh, Paul Dano's kind of awkward and kind of zany personality, almost a bit of like a Michael Cera type, is pretty well suited for this for this character. Yeah, and the question for me that kind of comes up when we talk about Jonah Hill maybe not reaching financial agreements with the studio is, does this studio have enough backing financially to even make a good Batman movie. Like if, I mean, I don't know how much Jonah Hill's charging these days. I haven't really seen him in a lot of things recently that are worth seeing. So what he's asking for, I don't think is too outrageous. So to me, that's like, well, if they can't even pay Jonah Hill, um, you know, what is, how is this going to turn out? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's not to say that, budgetary reasons are necessarily a reason to limit a like a superhero film obviously you have like the multi-million dollar marvel movies and even the christian bale vein of batman movies i'm sure were very had really high budgets especially for special effects but um you know joker most recently uh got the job done on a pretty limited budget and was i guess a bit more thematic than it was action-based um and so I don't think that that's necessarily a reason to doubt, uh, you know, the quality of this movie. Um, but I mean, it does it definitely seems like it's ramping up. There have been photos released recently of Robert Pattinson and what seems to be a Batman physique. So we know he's been undergoing some, some physical training to try to assume that role. Um, not to mention the fact that Robert Pattinson has really kind of crescendoed in recent years as an actor. Um, he's had, you know, some really, uh, prominent roles in the Safdie brothers good time movie a few years ago um claire dennis's uh high life recently and not to mention uh the movie the lighthouse which is coming out later this month where which has been getting a lot of oscar buzz so um 
you know, despite budgetary restrictions, it seems like a pretty solid cast. And, um, you know, at, as I'm not necessarily a fan of, you know, Hollywood reboots and remakes, but, you know, I, I can get behind solid action superhero movies. Yeah. And Warner Brothers will be opening the Batman in theaters June 25th, 2021. Uh, production on the movie begins uh, next year in 2020. That's right. And in other movie news, we have a slate of live action remakes, which have been making news this week. Um, so get ready for some nightmare fuel as <laughs> live action remakes of both uh, Barney. So Barney and Friends, the show, they're making a live action movie. Um, as well as a Pinocchio live-action remake. So uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who starred in Get Out and uh, Black Panther, uh, has been slated to produce this Barney live-action remake. And both Robert Zemeckis, the director of both all the Back to, Back to the Future movies and Forrest Gump, uh, as well as Tom Hanks, have been attached to this Pinocchio project. So... Um, you know, the, the thing that I guess I have questions about is what does a live-action Barney movie look like? Like, is it Barney in his felt yeah. suit? Or is it, like, CGI live-action Barney? Yeah, I I don't know how I feel about it. And um, if you somehow missed out on the reign of Barney on kids, uh, kids programming, um, it's pretty much... This dinosaur and his friends used to dance around and sing with kids on the show and teach viewers different lessons about friendship. And um, it's just, I guess for some kids, it was a rite of passage and their love for Barney went down in history. But for others, it's kind of kind of the thing that you wish you sort of would just kind of vanish from your memories. Yeah, one of those things you definitely wish you could kind of wipe clean. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, this definitely speaks to the money there is in marketing to kids, these types of movies. Um, and this is going to be backed by Mattel, the toy company that obviously, uh, you know, creates Barney toys. But they've also been slated to produce some Hot Wheels movies and Barbie movies as well. So Mattel is making uh, quite the cinematic push when it comes to marketing towards that that core audience. And I saw where Kalua said in um, an interview... I think with The Hollywood Reporter, he mentioned that we're excited to explore this compelling modern-day hero and see if his message of I love you, you love me can stand the test of time. Yeah, part of me wonders if they're, like, pulling one on it, like a fast one on us, because, like, <laughs> I, like part, part of me can't believe that this is serious. Right. Yeah, and... Yeah, maybe the film will some if it is a real film will somehow balance uh, nostalgia and good feelings while kind of bringing in enough to keep adults and kids both entertained. Like for me, I don't know if I would rush to get tickets to go see a live action Barney movie. Maybe if I had kids or had family members that were younger, um, but I don't think my nostalgia factor of watching Barney as a kid is going to be enough to get me in the theater to watch this on the big screen. No, agreed. Uh, I mean, on the same token, Paddington 2 did get 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I basically just do whatever Rotten Tomatoes tells me to do. So if Barney and Friends, the live-action remake, has like a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, you'll, you'll see me in theaters. 
but besides Barney, obviously this P- Pinocchio remake, uh, Pinocchio has had a live action version done before. It wasn't great. Um, but Tom Hanks, who's been a frequent collaborator with Robert Zemeckis, has apparently signed on to play Geppetto. So um, add it to the list of Tom Hanks's roles playing uh, kind old men like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Mommy, Daddy, why does uh, that guy sound like Woody from Toy Story? Exactly. But I think it's it, it'll be interesting. Um, it seems like I remember hearing something about this like a long time ago. So it seems like the development of this movie has kind of been in works for for a while. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see from live action remakes as a whole. I don't know if this is something that I'm necessarily interested in, but of course enough people are because these Disney remakes have made so much money um, when they've come out that, I mean, from a business standpoint alone, why would you stop making them? No, absolutely. And I think with the advent of Disney plus, um, you know, we're just going to see, and unlike we were talking about earlier with the explosion of the amount of content across various streaming channels, you know, it's going to grow exponentially Uh, because obviously like Disney's coming out with streaming service. Uh, Netflix has obviously dominated the space for a while. HBO, Showtime started a streaming service. Um, it just feels like the frontier is still largely like unpioneered, um, and I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot to come there. Yeah, and I think I definitely will be subscribing to Disney Plus come November 12th. Yeah, totally. I'm. I don't know about you. I've always been a big Star Wars fan, and the Mandalorian, which is Disney's original series, which is only going to be available on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. follows the adventures of, I believe, Boba Fett. Um, so another spinoff story in the Star Wars universe that I'm really excited about. Yeah, I used to always um, get really excited as a kid for the Disney Channel original movies that would come out. Um, I think all of those are going to be released on Disney Plus, so I'm excited to see, um, you know, Luck of the Irish, uh, Johnny Smart Tsunami, House. yeah, Smart House. Those were also <laughs> like really great movies as a kid, and I think they always came on like Friday nights at eight, and I was there for it on my couch. Yeah, I definitely had that penciled in my eight-year-old calendar. Um, but yeah, I think at some point we should do a ranking of Disney Channel original movies because there are some gems out there. Yeah, definitely. When Whenever Disney Plus comes out, um, maybe we'll do like a bonus episode of of those movies for sure. Um, but moving on to looking forward to the Oscars, um, I think in particular Best Actor. I think that the Best Actor is going to be pretty much a nightmare this year. Um, that there's seems to be such a high profile of male performers who seemed likely um, to make a pretty good run. Yeah. And this, this one's always a tough one. Um, You know, there are always people, it's basically a trade-off. Anytime you add somebody to the list, you're always going to be excluding somebody who's probably equally deserving. Um, There's not really one so far that stands out quite like, I guess, Gary Oldman's performances. Winston Churchill did a few years ago. Um, but like you said, it's it's a stacked crowd. So obviously, Joaquin Phoenix, who we talked about in Joker, um, put on a riveting performance of someone losing their mind. Um, 
Leonardo DiCaprio. Obviously, the Oscars or the Academy really loves Quentin Tarantino and his work, but um, Leonardo DiCaprio did put on a pretty powerful performance as kind of a declining actor in the golden age of Hollywood. Um, and then, you know, kind of in the same vein that we saw Remy Malik uh, win an Oscar for his portrayal of Freddie Mercury last year, I think Taron Edgerton has a really good chance, um, given that the Academy really loves bio pieces or uh, historical pieces. So I think his portrayal of Elton John and Rocketman um, could hold some weight as well. Yeah, and for me, I, I kind of want to throw in um, into the mix Robert De Niro in The Irishman. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but um, pretty much mafia hitman. I think his name's Frank, um, who's decades spanning exploits in the world of organized crime. Um, pretty much hits a little bit more close to home. Um, he's growing up in uh, South Philly. I think it's where it's where it's shot. Um, but it's also really good movie i haven't seen that i think his role in there is really good and like you said leonardo dicaprio like the irishman um once upon a time in hollywood is generally expected to be a strong contender and dicaprio definitely um hits it pretty high yeah and so i think that's kind of a good place to kind of segue into i guess speculation about best director um so obviously Quentin Tarantino with Once Upon a Time of Hollywood will probably earn an, a nod there. Um, but Martin Scorsese is obviously a seasoned director, um, well acclaimed and has multiple Oscars to his name. So I think the Irishman will kind of contribute to an obligatory nomination for him. Um, I personally have always found Martin Scorsese's films to be a bit like slow and dry. Um, you know, that's that's definitely his style, but I, I think his, I guess, reputation among the Academy will solidify a spot for him there. Um, but one one director I think might uh, make an emergence here with this year's awards is Bong Joon-ho, or Bong Joon-ho, sorry. Uh, so for people who are unfamiliar, he is the director who uh, made the film Snowpiercer, which is on Netflix. You can check that out. Uh, as well as Okja, which I think is actually a Netflix original. Um, but his, I guess, thriller slash comedy Parasite um, premiered a few weeks ago in the States, um, and it's been getting a lot of acclaim for his direction. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, on the shortlist for Best Director nods as well. I think bringing up Parasite, I think that might also sneak into um, Best Picture. I can throw that out there. Sure. Yeah, I mean, th to me, there haven't really been a lot of pictures that have emerged as best picture favorites or I guess be best picture worthy, knowing how the uh, the Academy tends to lean. Um, you know, for me, I'm sure Scorsese's Irishman will probably be up there once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, but yeah, I think Parasite, with its as much uh, positive critical reception as it's getting, will probably find its way up there. Uh, but another one that I think has been fairly quiet during this kind of award, heavy award season has been The Farewell. So this was a film uh, about a Chinese-American family's trip back to China to care for their dying grandmother. Um, and it was a really interesting story about, I guess, in Asian cultures, the way that these families carry this emotional burden for uh, their elder and dying relatives by not really telling them that they're dying. 
Um, so it was really interesting because it's about how the family kind of carries the grief for the grandmother as opposed to being kind of painting the picture of, you know, telling someone that they're dying as being selfish, which was kind of a really interesting way, a really interesting perspective on death that I don't think I or a lot of people in this culture are really attuned to. Um, so I thought it was really well put together, really poignant. Um, and I think Aquafina, who was the main actress in that film, um, who had more of a comedic role in the recent um, Dirty Rich Asians, uh, she had a really powerful performance that I think might actually earn her a Best Actress nod as well. Yeah, and um, kind of going back to The Irishman, do you think that the Academy is willing to give Netflix an Oscar since this movie is being released on Netflix? Yeah, I think that's where you kind of see the old meet the new, right? So in recent years, it's taken a lot to see the Academy really go outside of its comfort zone when it comes to nominations or um, or winners even. There was you know, the Oscars a few years ago where people were upset at the lack of diversity when it came to nominations, and you saw the, the Academy really respond in, in recent years with nominating more people of color um, or you know a more diverse uh, crowd of of nominations um but i think you know it it's really black and white right like it shouldn't really matter what medium a piece of powerful art comes from the academy should really be judging things for their merit as opposed to you know kind of being crotchety in their old ways and being like oh we're not going to give a netflix film an oscar you know because i think there have been plenty of original pieces that are worthy of of awards it's just i guess coming around to seeing that as a, a standard convention right and last year we saw netflix's um original movie roma they won a slew of of key awards um but of course it didn't lock down best picture it did however um i saw netflix released roma in theaters for I think about three weeks, and they said they're going to be doing that again this year. So if for some reason you don't have Netflix or don't have um, a cousin whose Netflix you use, you might be able to get uh, a chance to see some of these Netflix originals in in theaters um, once they're released. But um, two little wild cards, I think, even though they're not typical best picture material, I um, we've talked about one of them i've seen another one on my own but i really think um and they're both really big box office hits and we've kind of seen the academy push for that in the last couple of years like um which kind of movies not only make the most buzz but make the most money um i'm throwing in joker of course um sure as as a wild card and this one is might be a surprise but i'm also throwing in hustlers um huh. that the crime drama um, starring Jennifer Lopez um, as like scheming strippers, but I think those two are definitely <laughs> going to be um, wild cards in the mix uh, this year come Oscar Oscar time. Nice use of alliteration there, Kyle. Thank you. Uh, but but yeah, I I think Joker definitely makes sense, and I haven't seen Hustlers yet, but that's actually the second time today I've heard somebody recommend it. So um, I've heard it definitely has legs. <laughs> legs for days. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, transitioning into our next topic, Call of Duty Modern Warfare releases this Friday, October 25th. This is going to be um, another installment for 
the Activision franchise, Infinity Ward franchise. Um, both you and I had the opportunity to play the beta a couple weeks ago. Do you want to start off with just general um, thoughts? Yeah, I think um, we touched on this a little bit in the past, but um, I really enjoyed playing this game. Um, you know, it really comes back to Call of Duty's boots on the ground sort of gameplay that made it so popular. Um, and I think what's really enjoyable about the game is how immersive it is. So the 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 producers obviously took hours and hours and hours to really get sounds right. So whether it's like the sound of a clip being reloaded into a gun or the sound of bullet shells hitting the floor as you know, you're, you're firing an automatic weapon, things like that. Um, so the experience in-game is really fun. Um, the gameplay is really smooth. They bring back you know, a lot of game modes that have always been really popular, but they've introduced some new ones as well. Um, so a sort of search and destroy hybrid type of game that is going to be new to this this feature. Um, but I think think overall it should be a pretty fun game. Yeah, I definitely think, I mean, growing up on Call of Duty is pretty much um, where my gaming roots are held, um, whether that was playing zombie modes and black ops, um, playing the rank system in um, Black Ops 2, I think when that really like league play, the real competitive scene kind of took um, took wraps on the community. Um, but this game is going to be quite different. Like you said, they did put a lot of work into the sounds, into the immersion, into the campaign um, of it. Um, and But one thing that they are doing that's not so original is introducing these battle passes instead of their traditional loot boxes. Yeah, that's right. So as opposed to relying on luck or, you know, someone spending money on in-game microtransactions to win uh, either purely cosmetic mm -hmm. weapons or skins or things like that, or even, you know, game-changing game or affecting uh, weapons and skins, users will have to rely on basically progressing through the game in order to unlock things that Call of Duty has assured are strictly cosmetic. Um, so it really depends on the amount of time that you put into a game and the amount that you grind uh, Modern Warfare when it comes out to earn you know, weapons upgrades, skin types, and things like that. So this is definitely a major departure from not only Call of Duty's way of doing things, but uh, a lot of games these days that have either pay-to-win aspects or um, you know microtransactions that allow players to uh, you know not necessarily be able to be proud of the amount of time they've put into a game when someone can just kind of come on and you know spend their parents money or you know have their parents credit card on file and be buying loot boxes out the wazoo right and unlike a loot box a battle pass usually shows what rewards players are pretty much on track to unlock so this is kind of became pretty popular in the uh, Fortnite world where it has this system where you can earn rewards just by playing the game and completing certain in-game objectives. Um, there's always going to be, there's like a free battle pass that you get. doesn't come right. with as many rewards as the premium one does. But um, if you look at Fortnite, for example, the game is a free game. And they get away with just charging, you know, $10 a battle pass for each season that comes out. Um, so for Call of Duty to be a $60 game to introduce these battle passes 
Uh, it'll be inter interesting to see kind of where their their business model goes for for getting more money. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of speculation, especially from people who are used to Call of Duty's way of doing things, that this might be a way to kind of get more people to start playing the game, um, have fun with a lot of the new game modes and new maps and different style of gameplay. And then once they have a captive audience, there are plenty of people who are convinced that they're just going to, you know, maybe reinstitute something a bit like loot boxes. But, um, you know, I remain hopeful that this is maybe a departure from the norm. Yeah, and something else uh, that's new with Call of Duty is their competitive scene. So if you're not familiar with Call of Duty as an eSport or how it um, holds up to other games that have strong competitive scenes, Call of Duty used to have a, a World League where you had pro teams. Of course, they would compete in these different events. So... Um, you know, I've been to some events growing up. You have like MLG Columbus and Anaheim and um, these these community-based centers that you can go watch your favorite team, whether that's Optic Gaming. Um, you have 100 Thieves now, FaZe Clan. Although the times for that has kind of shifted to more of a franchise-based ba um, system. So with the continuous growing of esports, um, you know, Prize pools that I saw when I was a little bit younger was, wow, the winner gets a couple thousand dollars, maybe $50,000 was outrageous, um, $100,000 was unheard of. Now you have these prize pools going to the upper millions of dollars, millions of dollars. Um, so are, have you kind of been following along with the esports trend when it comes to Call of Duty? Yeah, so obviously I've noticed this shift towards more of a, a franchise-based um, structure. And, you know, that, that kind of came around at the same time that Optic Gaming was dissolved, which was kind of a, a wake-up call for me, for someone who, as long as I've been exposed to esports, has kind of recognized Optic Gaming as this kind of powerhouse. Um, but I think what's really interesting about transitioning to something a bit more franchise-based is I think... Call of Duty understands that it's not going to reach the levels of some of the more globally popular games like Dota or League of Legends or even Counter-Strike that are able to succeed with these um, kind of team base, you know, whether you have like Liquid or Cloud9 or things like that. Um, transition to something that definitely Americans can get a bit more behind because when you think about just traditional sports, a lot of times when people talk about why they chose a favorite nfl team for example or a favorite nba team you know one it usually has to do with like your family who they've grown up rooting for for a long time but oftentimes it has to do with your physical proximity to a location right so people in washington dc are obviously going to root for the washington redskins um people in denver are obviously going to root for the denver nuggets so i think this will be a really interesting way of maybe curating a more passionate fan base um, and having people have a bit more pride in their cities and things like that. And like knowing that as opposed to representing a brand, they're representing like a, a geographical place. Um, now I think, you know, it's promising because you've seen the success of the Overwatch League uh, in, in the States and how, you know, people have had that pride for, say, you know, I'm in San Francisco. Uh, a lot of, you know, gamers out here are San Francisco Shock fans, things like that. So 
Uh, I think it's got a promising future, this sort of franchise-based structure. And it's certainly not cheap. So um, I saw where Activision is, they pretty much are stating that if you wanted to have a franchise, there is a buy-in of $25 million to have a franchise. So a lot of these pro teams like Optic and 100 Thieves and, um, you know, Envy, for instance, they don't, they don't have the cash to throw out $25 million to have their own franchise. And when Overwatch started, their their team burst started around $20 million, and I think now they're going for 40 to $50 million. And that has quickly turned the those teams into valuable properties and that's definitely a reflection of the growth of the league as, as it's um, as it sits and I think a lot of the times um, Activision is getting a lot of kind of their proposals and business plans based off of the Overwatch League and um, kind of backing up if you're not familiar with how it works is as similar with the Overwatch League one of the big changes is that esports organizations We'll have to create new team names that are used only with the Call of Duty League teams, and that doesn't really huh. sit well with some teams um, that have been around for a long time, like Optic, and have a lot of equity built into their names. So, but it's sort of like the NBA only allows a team with the Golden State Warriors name to play in its league, as opposed to other basketball leagues. Kind of, if that makes right. sense. Sure, um, and. I think with the Call of Duty League, Activision wants to see the same trajectory happen. Um, so what we know so far is that the Call of Duty League will have 26 events in Season 1, with the season spanning 28 weeks beginning in early 2020. So and there will be two splits, uh, not counting the postseasons, where each team will have these 5v5 competitive pool plays, which kind of ranks you throughout the season that way. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where we'll see, you know, so most recently in the NBA offseason, Kevin Durant signed a really large free agent deal to go to the Brooklyn Nets. Do you think we'll start to see, and I'm not sure what the financial structure of, for instance, the Call of Duty League um, looks like, but do you feel like we'll ever get to the point where people are paying or teams are paying millions of dollars to send a star to another city? I definitely think it's going to get there eventually. Um, like with Overwatch League, for instance, um, where do you watch that? Oh, it's on TBS. It's on Prime Cable Networks. Um, right. So it's it's definitely growing, and there was a lot of buzz with all of these pro teams kind of dissolving, as you said earlier. It's like, well, what's going to happen to my favorite player? What's going to happen to you know Crim Six on Optic? Um, this you know CEO of Optic Hector. What's going to happen with him? Um, so there's a lot of buzz, and they're releasing these videos, and um, you find out that they're joining these franchises. And when it comes to salary, I think it'll be interesting to see what type of restrictions that these players have, similar to the NBA or the NFL, on can these players um, have certain sponsorships? Can they still continue to stream on Twitch and make money that way? Um, or will it be enough to pay them with that $25 million buy-in fee? Sure. Yeah, I feel like it's hard to have as much leverage as a new organization like the Call of Duty League to say to someone who might make more money potentially streaming, you know, like, hey, you need to be strictly, uh, you know, a COD League athlete. 
um, you know, there's not really much of a position in terms of bargaining that be like, you're not allowed to stream, you know, because for a lot of these people, that's what they're dependent on. Um, but yeah, the, the, the business aspect of the league is really intriguing and we'll see over the coming months how it plays out. Yeah. And if you are a player out there, um, younger player or what have you, they are also going to have this Call of Duty Challengers League. Um, I think this one is offering a $1 million prize pool, and this is for amateur players who are kind of on a path to becoming professionals one day. I think the Challenger League opens up in November, and you'll have these pro teams hosting amateur competitions in their home city. So if you are in the Atlanta area or the LA area um, or Chicago area, and you have a you belong to an amateur team, you definitely have a chance to go to one of these professionally hosted tournaments and kind of make your name there. And um, if you're not quite to the amateur status yet, um, there is going to be a Call of Duty League City Circuit, which is going to be a new, more casual um, competition, which will pretty much bring land tournaments to these pro team cities. Um, they will also have pri prize pools, um, they will have a final at the Call of Duty League Championships. Um, so there's definitely a lot of hope for younger players out there who think this new franchising kind of diminishes their own chance to become pros one day. Yeah, and I think what's really cool about that city circuit is it's going to be centered around the new gunfight mode that's coming to Modern Warfare, which is essentially a 2v2 arena-based uh, kind of competitive mode. Um, and so that's that's obviously a new thing that Call of Duty Modern Warfare is bringing about. Um, but yeah, so Modern Warfare is releasing this coming Friday. Um, and it contains a lot of new features, new maps, new game modes, as well as the ability to do cross-play between different consoles. So uh, check it out when it comes out later this week. That brings us to the end of episode three of the Coast to Coast podcast. Uh, again, on behalf of Kyle and I, I'd just really like to thank you guys for tuning in. Um, be sure to uh, share this podcast with your friends. Uh, if you feel like anybody uh, is kind of has interest in the same vein as ours. Uh, also, we're always looking for feedback. Um, what do you like? What don't you like? Is there anything that you, you'd wish that we talked about? Um, go ahead and let us know. Yeah. And again, we are um, still on all platforms where you can listen to podcasts, whether that's on Anchor, where we are hosted. Thank you um, for at Anchor. Spotify is another big one. Google Play, Stitcher Radio. And for that, that's it for this episode, and we'll talk at you next week.